Alrighty, good morning everyone. We're gonna go and get started. I was gonna give some time for people to trickle on in, but it seems like this is our the, the, the all-star crew. Um, well, good morning everyone. Welcome, welcome, welcome to um, this Sunday School class. It's a special one. Both myself and Heather will be co-leading this, and the goal is to really encourage you in Christian um, formation, Christian formation for parents and also for for kids. So let, let me pray and then we'll begin. Father in heaven, I we thank you, Lord, for the great privilege it is simply to gather together as your people. We thank you, Father, for the gospel and that through Christ alone, through you alone, O oh Lord, through the Spirit alone, through faith alone, through grace alone, we are transformed from one degree of glory to the, to the next as we behold your Son in the gospel. So, Father, may you help us to see your beauty. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so let me just share a, a, a quick story as a, as a way of, of starting off. Um, so I heard this story about a, a, a young pastor of a church who he had no kids, and he was putting on a, a, a parent seminar. So he started off, and he had 10 ways to raise your kids. 10 ways. Well, it went great. It went great. The next year, he had a kid. He came back. They wanted him to do it again. He said, okay, five ways to raise your kids. Well, the next year, he had another kid, and they wanted it to happen again. So he said, okay, let's just talk about kids. <laughs> I am at the beginning of the stages of raising a child, so I am not coming to you with all this grand wisdom and all this law on what you ought to do to raise your, your child. But I do want to encourage you and me as I begin the journey in, the, in really in how do we as parents, how do we as individuals, if, even if you're not a parent, this is good for you, how do we conform to the pattern of Christ? Because Christian transformation for parents towards our kids begins with the parents, begins with us. So what is Christian transformation? It's this, it's not conforming to the pattern of the world, that's something that we are not to do, but being transformed, something that we participate in, and here's what we become, the image or pattern of Christ. That is Christian transformation at its core, at its core. So let's hear some of the text that I get that from. Do not be conformed to the, to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, so forth and so on. 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to the next. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit, 2 Corinthians 3.18. So the, the principle there is this. This is something that for you and something that you can and, and really teach your kids. We behold, just, it's actually the other way around, we become what we behold. We become what we behold. And isn't your goal as a parent to see your, your young child become more Christ-like? How do we get them there is the big question. Well, it, it starts off with we become what we behold. So Christian transformation in children and adults is nothing more than beholding Jesus so to become like him. That's what the goal is. But I think it goes deeper. As I said before, it starts with adults. But it starts with this. 
your union with Christ. So let's call it, let's call it liberation before law. This is, the, this is the mindset I think we should have as we are trying to obey Christ and become more like him. Liberation before law or rescue before code. Basically, it's, it's saying this. We can't transform into the image of Christ until we understand that we have been saved by him, by grace through faith alone. That change in us must flow from liberation from sin. It must flow from God's love towards us and not simply law trying to earn his love. That's basic Christianese. It's basic Christian 101, but it's, it, it's so important that we grasp that first principle. It's, what, it's how the Israelites, it's how they started off. It's how the law starts off. Here, O Israel, the Lord, no, should I, it's um, how the Lord rescued Israel from slavery, and then he asked them to obey. So we see it here. Children, for this is for parents. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Notice that part. It's Paul's favorite, favorite phrase. In Christ, in the Lord. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Did you know that your children... Baptized children are in the Lord. They're in the Lord, which means they receive the blessings of the Lord. Which means for them also, yes, we're not saying that they are saved, but we are saying that there is a grace that they need to experience that comes from Christ. Same phrase for children. Children. There aren't any really children in here, but children. Obey your parents how? In the Lord. In the Lord. Which means your obedience to your parents and parents, their obedience towards you flows from them being in the Lord. I think that's so vital. That the sphere of their, of their obedience, their adherence to your rules, the rules in which you give them because you love them and you want them to transform, but their obedience to you must be, in a sense, gospel-saturated. And then this, this, this lesson is called Christian Transformation for Parents. And for the rest of us, I couldn't think of, we couldn't think of another way to not make the rest of us sound second-class-ish. Second but for you also, notice what Paul says, For by grace you have been saved, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift, not a result of works that no one may boast. And then, and then he goes into the works that we are to walk in. So our obedience to Christ flows first from not our trying to earn his favor, but that we are already favored. So we're talking about sanctification. That's what we're talking about. Christian transformation in parents and in children is nothing less than sanctification, becoming more and more Christ-like. So here's, here's where I want to camp out a little bit on. Here is how we often view Christian growth, right? So notice the person there. We have person bearing sin, and we want to become more Christ-like. So we want to ascend the steps towards Christ-likeness. So we pray, and we fast. We go to church. We partake of the sacraments. We feel sorry for our sins, and we so forth and so on. At the top, you can see the man jumping, and he's happy. He's become more Christ-like. But what happens when you mess up? You feel like you come tumbling down, don't you? And you're like, ah, I didn't give as much as I should give. I didn't, I didn't, I haven't been, I haven't been to life group in so long. Am I committed? I don't read my Bible as much anymore, so forth and so on, and we're back at square one. Or let's look at how we view 
children's growth. Same things, prayer, conform to family values, church. We want them to love church, like church, right? We want them to get baptized. We want them to obey, to work hard in school, to find extracurricular activities that they can invest themselves in. And we want to steward their emotions and want them to have goals and so forth and so on. And at the end, they jump and jive because they're Christ-like. But what happens when they mess up? What happens when they, they don't feel loved? What happens when they, when, when they don't feel worth it? What, what happens when they don't feel accomplished? What happens if they don't make it into the school that they wanted to make it into? Or they don't succeed in the sport, the extracurricular activity that they love? You see, if we, if we view our, our growth in Christ as, in a sense, this staircase, we're susceptible to this tumbling down and viewing our growth as a, just a raw and mere and pure work. Nothing more than, it's almost a, 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 a twin to the American dream. It's like the Siamese twin to American dream, except it's, it's colored in Christ, Christianese. So how do we build into our lives this, this into our children's, this liberation before law concept? This, I want to change because Christ has already changed the most central aspect of me. That is my relationship to God. He's changed that. That's what he's changed. So therefore, I want to obey, not I'm going to obey so I can become more and more loved by God. Well, one way is through catechism, and, and Heather is going to bring out a lot of very practical ways that you and I can, can train our children. And then another is connecting their, theirs and our lives to narrative. And here's what I mean. So here's sanctification through catechesis, both formal and informal, absorbing all of life. Notice what God says to the parents. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently. There is the catechesis. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And here, here is the informal and formal. You shall talk of them, the commandments. You shall talk of them when? When you sit down in your house, when you walk, by the way, wherever you're going, you're out on, 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 you're out on a walk in the woods, you talk with your kids about the Lord. Wherever you are, you, you're, you're, you're driving them to school, you're talking about the Lord. And when you lie down and when you rise, both morning and night and all through the day, you shall bind them as sign on your hand and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, the, the Jewish people, they took this quite literally. But what, what God is saying is here is this should be how you think and how you act. How you think and how you act. And here is sanctification through, through narrative. In the same chapter, when your son asks you in time to come, which, which is saying that your children are going to be observant of you. They're going to be observant in, in your practices, and they're going to wonder, why do we do this? Have your kids ever asked you that? Why do we go to church? Why do we pray? Why do we sing so much? Why do we do so much reading in church? What is this? Why did I get so wet during baptism? I don't like getting wet. I'm scared to stand in front. I don't, why, do, why are we singing? All these things. So when your sons ask you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, notice how, he, how he, we are commanded to jump into a narrative. 
we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his houses before our eyes. And he brought us out from there. Why? That he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. There it is. Liberation before law. And that is the story that the parents are to tell the children. So as Christians, do we have a narrative? Yes, of course we do, right? Of course we do. Notice this, oh, sorry, let me go back. Notice this union with Christ and liberation before law concept found in Paul. Paul says, here's his narrative. Here's, here's how his life has been defined. I have been crucified with Christ. A part of him has died, he says. There was a, there was a death that he died. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, he lives differently. He lives by faith, who loved me and gave himself for me. Wouldn't you want to, I don't want to say impose this in your kids, but wouldn't you want to live this out in front of your children? That it's no longer I who live. My life before, my life now are drastically different. My life is, is colored now. The lens in which I view everything is through faith. And isn't that what we, what we want to train our children to think, to do, to believe? To live by faith, not by sight. And Paul says in Romans chapter 6, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized, there's, there's our Red Sea crossing. Here's, here's where we cross the Red Sea. Here's where we escape the judgment of God. Here's where God saves us from himself and crushes our enemy. For the, for the Israelites, it was the Egyptians, and for us, it is sin. We've been baptized, there's Paul's favorite phrase, into Christ. We were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the, from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too, notice that just as language, we too might walk in the newness of life. Now, I, I'm, I'm trying to set us up and prepare us for what Heather is going to give us practically. Again, I'm trying to show that Christian transformation for parents towards their kids always begins with the parents. Is this your narrative and is this how you want to live out your life in the presence before God and of your children? I think so. It's rough terrain. I, I don't want to sit here and say that it's easy and that here's 15 steps and how you can live out the gospel before your children, but it's possible, and I think it should be our goal. So, here is a different view of growth. We have the staircase view of growth, and here is something that I have learned to love and appreciate, and it's what I've been teaching the youth in Sunday school, this idea of the J-curve growth, that just as Christ lived, died and lived, so you and I as Christians die and live, die and live. So in Romans chapter 6, we saw that right there. And it's just just as language. Just as language. Christ was buried into death, or into death, and we were buried, and he was raised, right? There it is. There's his death. There's his resurrection right there. And just like that, Paul says what? We were, since we were baptized, that is our death. There's that, inward, there's that downward ascent. We died and where's the resurrection? We are, we are raised to, there. here is the, the, the living out 
the gospel. We are raised to walk in the newness of life. Raised to walk in the newness of life. So, beholding comes before becoming. Jesus died and lived so that he can reproduce in us and in our children. That dying and living, the foundation of believing the gospel, frees us to become like the gospel. Again, beholding comes before becoming. Let me say that again. Jesus died and lived so that he can reproduce that in us. This dying and living. He wants to reproduce that in our kids. We get that in that short little prepositional phrase, in the Lord. And Paul says it, says it twice. He says, children obey your parents in the Lord. And then he says to the fathers, fathers, raise and bring up your children in the Lord. In the Lord. So let me give two examples. You're going to want your children to learn how to and the importance of repentance, right? How to say no to things. How to say no to what's wrong and yes to what's right. However you discipline your kids, you're teaching them repentance. Do you know repentance? Of course, of course we do. If you've been here for any amount of time, you know the importance of repentance. But I want you to see this, this worked out in, in, in the scripture and how it's, it's everywhere. So in 2 Corinthians 7:10, you know the story. This is Paul's thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it is, but he has something. And the reason he has it, it's right there. The danger of conceit. So there's a sin that God is keeping Paul from. That's Paul's death right here. He experiences his dying. So he prays three times for it to go away. But it doesn't. But then he, because he doesn't experience God answering the prayer the way he wants him to answer prayer, he also experiences this resurrection. And what is, and what is the experience? That God's power is made perfect in his weakness. God's power is made perfect in his weakness. Now, I really do think, I really do believe that that is what our youth need. Is that their life should be defined probably more by crosses than by outward successes. That they too have to bear crosses, and they do bear crosses, and we need to tell them that this pain you're bearing right now as a child, whatever it may be, is a cross. Is a cross. But Jesus, them being in the Lord, does not just promise them death, it promises them life. That's what it does, it promises them life. So here's the, the love curse. So the first one is when, when sin is in me. Here's the hard one. When sin is in another. Now, your, your kids may think sin is in you and they, when you tell them, do this or else, and they get mad and frustrated. And you may think sin is in them. They, sin probably is in them when they bulk against your rules and your values. Paul experienced that too. And so did Christ. So Philippians 2.11, we, 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 we love this for his Christology. This is where Paul says that Christ took on, took on the, the uh, of flesh, became a slave, even to the point of death, became obedient. We love that thing. God highly exalted Christ. We love that part. But do you remember the point in which Paul brought that up? Why? To encourage the Philippians to be loving and united towards one another. He grounds that example in Christ. 
So Christ, there it is. There's his death, his dying, and his rising became God. He became highly exalted by the Lord. So in order to love, in order for your children to to love the people of God in church, I mean, how many of you who have teens or had teens who grew up in church didn't like church because the people in the church were difficult or hard, or maybe boring, maybe maybe a little annoying, maybe a little. Um, um, uh, What's the word? Not, not obnoxious, but um, nosy. Always bugging me, always asking me. Well, they're experiencing sin in another. And here's where, we, here's where we have so many tools in our tool belt to train them and to teach them. That as Christians, as those who have been baptized into Christ, we've been called to love those people. Now, I've, I've said this to, to some people in here, and I'll say it. I've said it to our youth, that when we choose to love another person, you know what you're inviting into your life? Suffering. You're inviting suffering into your life when you choose to love somebody. So when, when, when we tell our youth, Love you, love your people, love the people in the church. When you tell your kids to love your parents, to love their sibling, you're also inviting them into suffering, because it ain't easy. At whatever age, it's not easy. It's not easy. So, this is where I'll end, and to let Heather give us some some practical steps. So, Christian transformation in our children and in our lives is not about success. It's not that staircase view. It's about weakness. We are, of all people, to be identified with our crosses, not just our successes. Full dependence on Christ, full participation in the life of Christ. We don't stop at belief. We don't just want to train our children to believe the gospel. We want them to participate in the gospel. We don't want, I don't want you, I don't want myself to just stop at belief in Christ. I want to participate in his life. Because that's where you and I will experience the resurrection. And that's what our kids need to see in us. That's what I hope Ezra sees, wherever he's at. There he is. <laughs> that's what I want him to see in me and in my wife. That we are people who are identified by our crosses, not just our successes. We move forward and we move upward in growth as we participate in this life and death of Christ. So that's hope that sets the stage for, for why we need transformation while we want our kids to be transformed. Now, Heather's going to give us some very practical steps. I can help out, pass those. I can pass. Yeah, um, please. I can. Um, I can if you it. could take one per couple, that's great. I have 25 copies, so I think that should make it around. That's right. I'm going to. Yeah, 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 yeah. You, you can just unplug it. To unplug it, it's be fine. It's told I have to speak into this just right. <laughs> Thank you. 
So I'm so glad that Jerry started off with all of that because as I was preparing and, and my um, purpose was to, to give some practical tips and uh, sometimes it could feel a little workspace. So I'm so glad for the, the setup and um, just of what where the goal is in this is for hearts to be transformed and for our children to love the Lord and come to just a, a faithful life following and serving him. But I just wanted to start with, I know in this room there are some who are not parents yet. There are maybe college students, grad students, people who are empty nesters, and um, then those who are just newly married. And But this, this can be for you, and you are called in this church to, to take part in the raising of the children of this church. And the vows, we had uh, two baptisms last week uh, of the children. And the last vow that was asked of the congregation was, do you as a congregation undertake the responsibility of assisting the parents and the Christian nurture of this child? And so as we go through this, just trying to think of ways that you might be able to participate. I actually um, might, on page four, I do have some practical tips. And I might actually start there just so that you can start thinking about this even if you're not a parent, in ways that you might be able to help. So I laid out, uh, for those who do not have children or have children out of the home, things to think about are just volunteering in nursery, getting to know our kids, getting to know the parents. Um, maybe considering teaching Sunday school, if that's something that you think might be a, a gifting of yours, and being involved with the lives of the children. Uh, trying to talk with the children of our church uh, and finding out what interests them uh, after the service or before the service, maybe going to watch a game or a play. I know um, a few have come to, to do that for our kids, and it's, it, it, I think they really, it has endeared it, them towards the people who have, who have come to watch, and that's been a great blessing. Maybe inviting a family into your home. Uh, or babysitting, so parents could have a night together and children can get to know others in the church better. So those are just some things to think about if you are not um, a parent, just as we, as we begin. So before I dive in, I just want to, you to really think about what do you want most for your children? Um, you know, I, I think as, as Jerry pointed out, we'd probably all say we want them to know the Lord, but when I, I think of the time and the energy that I've put in in my life towards their academics, their athletics, their other extracurricular activities, it is so much time and so much effort and, and just want to uh, remind all of us, myself included, that these things will perish, but uh, life with him is eternal. So really to think about that as the, at the beginning and, and how you order your life and what you spend time on. Uh, in the book of church order, I don't have this in the handout, but it talks about the relative responsibilities of parents and the church in raising our children. And um, something that maybe some of you haven't, or I hadn't uh, thought about that as much before I had read this. The spiritual nurture, instruction, training of the children of the church are committed by God primarily to their parents. They are responsible to the church for the faithful discharge of their obligations. It is a principal duty of the church to promote true religion in the home. True discipleship involves learning the word of God under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, both at home and in the church. Without learning, there is no growth. Without growth, there is no discipline. And without discipline, there is sin and iniquity. 
So just, uh, we, we can come to the church for help and guidance, but also just be reminded as parents that we are called to do this. Um, in a book that I've read, Heirs of the Covenant, and I also uh, a few years ago talked to the teachers about a lot of aspects in that book, but I just wanted to read a section from, from there to contemplate the gravity of our task. So the biblical paradigm is for covenant children to grow up in faith from infancy. It is imperative that the doctrine of covenant succession be recovered in our churches. The church is hemorrhaging its children into the world. Christian evangelism will never make a decisive difference in our culture when it amounts merely to an effort to replace losses due to widespread desertion from our own camp. The gospel will always fail to command attention and carry conviction when large numbers of those who grow up under its influence are observed abandoning it for the world. Inscribing the doctrine of covenant succession upon the heart of family and church must have a wonderfully solemnizing and galvanizing effect. It will set Christian parents seriously to work on the spiritual nurture of their children, equipping them and requiring them to live the life of covenant faith and duty to which their God and Savior called them at the headwaters of life. And even conscious of the greater effect of parental example, they will forsake the easy way, shamelessly and joyfully to live a life of devotion and obedience which adorns and enables the faith in the eyes of their children. This they will do who embrace the Bible's doctrines. I just thought that was um, something very convicting for me and just uh, you know, encouraging and inspiring to know that this is something that is, is beautiful and worth doing and worth pursuing. So while uh, child discipleship will take many forms, and we'll get into that, and it might look different in your family than it did in our family, uh, as Jerry pointed out in Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9, and it's there in your handout, that, that we are clearly called to disciple our children. Um, in Proverbs 22, 6, it says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And then 1 Timothy 4, 7, 3, have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For all bodily training is of some value. Godliness is of value in every way. And while that's not specifically for parents, just knowing and being reminded that just as we might help our kids train for their athletics, we are also called to train ourselves and them in the gospel. So it's clear that children dis child discipleship is a non-negotiable. We're called to train them and disciple them. Um, if your children are older, as I go through this, I just want to make sure you don't beat yourself up by what you have not done. Um, there, there is grace, and God is in control. So I, I don't want this to make anyone feel bad for what has not happened. Instead, if you didn't do this when they were little and your kids are still in the home, I'd encourage you to make a plan with your spouse this week to sit down, to think through ways in which you can uh, help to train your children, and then to sit down with your children and to acknowledge and, and let them know what you've learned about the importance of better understanding the doctrines of our faith and studying his word and share your plan with them. But one thing I'd encourage um, you not to do is to not let your kids' interest or disinterest dictate whether or not you spend time educating them in the faith. We are called to do this. Um, and also, before I finally go into it, I just want you to remember that doing all of these things will not guarantee faith. 
uh, pray fervently for your children. Those who don't have children, pray fervently for the children of our church, um, that, that they will come to know the truths of scripture, that, that it will penetrate their hearts, and that it will change their affections. Um, you know, all that we've been called to, be, to do is to be faithful. And so we go and do that, uh, trusting in the Lord to be at work in their hearts. And I think it can also free us from trying to uh, come down so harshly on our children, because we know we can, we can bring the truth to them, we can try to show them the way, and we can trust that God is going to be at work in their hearts. So hopefully that will free us. So um, as we begin, just our, our culture shapes our loves, fears, hopes, expectations, and assumptions. So we need to combat this with reminding our children what is true. The truth should in turn change our affections, our loves, our expectations. But we and our children need to know what is true. So I, I put a few verses there in Ephesians and 1 Peter being prepared to give a reason for the, answer, for the hope that you have. But also, um, you know, so that at the end of Ephesians, so that we may no longer be, toss, uh, be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So we are hoping that to, to help them understand the doctrines of our faith through explicit teaching and through the teaching of the doctrines, worship, fellowship, and displays of mercy and grace, we pray that they will come to delight in the law of the Lord and his grace that's offered to us. So there are multiple aspects of child discipleship. Uh, I'm going to focus on today just the practical aspects of family worship in the home, catechism and scripture memory, as well as point out other resources for growing in an understanding of scripture, apologetics, and spiritual formation. Um, So I have down there family worship at home. Uh, This could be done in a variety of ways. I know that um, Pastor Graham wrote, family worship is not education or Bible school. It is not even primarily an exercise of parenting children, at least not directly. It is a time when we are all as children of God, remembering him and cherishing his gracious gifts to us, both in creation and redemption. Uh, something that he had put forward, I know when our kids were little, are just read a short snippet of scripture, maybe have a brief comment. Um, and as a family, we often have chosen books of the Bible to go through. So we're going through uh, all of scripture. Uh, we, we jump around in terms of we might do Genesis, and then we might do Luke, and we might go to the Minor Prophets and Ephesians, but we've kept a running list of the books that we've gone through, and uh, it's amazing over all the years that the children are in the home, you can get through a good chunk of the Bible, even reading just a, a short uh, snippet each night. Uh, we've copied like 15 hymns from the Trinity hymnal and we rotate through them and just sing one a night and then follow that with a short time of prayer. Sometimes asking the kids if they have prayer requests Um, and all in all in our home that's taken about 10 minutes. It hasn't been uh, super long. I think that often consistency is better than trying to make it lengthy and super fun and um, but we we want to come and just acknowledge that he is our king and and we ought to worship him and and come before him 
Um, this, Pastor Graham had mentioned that it's often different than education time. Uh, I'll go into here Christian education. In our home, uh, we homeschooled for a while, so we would often do our Christian education during breakfast. But for those of you who are trying to get your kids out the door to get to school, uh, that might be harder to do in the morning. So it might be something that you have family worship and then a little time for scripture memory or catechism time. So it might look different for you. But um, the sign to, to recognize is that the world is catechizing our kids and it's subtle and not so subtle messages each day. So I don't need to underestimate the power of catechisms to ingrain the truths of scripture and to keep them from false doctrine. While Sunday school often teaches redemptive history and fundamental doctrines to the stories of scripture, the catechism systematically teach the doctrines of our faith. While the language may seem quite dense at times, they're often getting much more than we think. And uh, I just don't need to get discouraged if they have trouble memorizing the whole catechism. They're going to get a lot out of hearing it, of hearing it taught, and uh, maybe having opportunities to ask questions about it. Um, in a paper Preston written on child discipleship, he, he had written, to be sure, our young children may not understand the concepts completely or hardly at all in some cases, but don't be mistaken into thinking that nothing is happening. Quite the contrary, by catechism instruction, the church or parents placing important categories in the child's memory, categories or files of facts that will become the basis of distinguishing and understanding things taught in sermons, Sunday school instruction, and various ways of catechism review and instruction that will be repeated throughout our cur curriculum. Um, a story that uh, one of our sons was at camp one, uh, one summer, and he came back and he said, I was on a hike, and there was a kid who was arguing that the son and the father are not equal, that the father is, is stronger, more powerful than the son. And he, he, re he recounted one of the catechisms, and he says, but I know that's not true, um, because it says that, that these three are one, equal in substance and glory. And I, I, it just surprised me because that was something that he had memorized a while before, but he was able to pull it out, know that what was being said was not truth, and to know what is truth. And so it can help them when they go off to college and they are visiting churches to be able to assess what the preacher is saying um, and, and to know whether or not this is something, a good church to be a part of and to be in. So catechism training can be uh, done in many ways. For our family, and I've recommended this for everyone in the church. I actually have bought this for every uh, family. Uh, so if you don't have one and your kids, especially if they're kindergarten and up, then you can grab one. I have, there are some in the bookstore and here. They're free for you. The Training Hearts Teaching Minds. And what I really appreciated about this is it, it spends six days on each catechism question Typically, uh, we could do three days in one or, or two days in one so that you really can get through one question in two days. So maybe if the weekdays don't work for you, maybe Saturday morning and Sunday evening and you can get through it. But it has scripture references. And so we would have our kids get out their Bibles and we'd tell them what passage to look for. And so uh, they would, one, 
know that it's coming from scripture, that, that we're not just pulling this out of nowhere, but that the catechism is based in scripture. And two, uh, they're just getting used to their Bibles and being in their physical Bible. And so I uh, thought that was a helpful exercise. But if, even if you're an adult with no kids, this is a great book to go through. Um, I, I think that as, as a parent and for your kids, you can both be learning at the same time or even if you're um, doing it on your own. So the uh, catechisms in here are the modern language, but we're memorizing with the kids the, uh, the I guess it would be the archaic language. The <laughs> but because the CDs we have, are using the old language. And so it's easier when they are able to listen to the CD in the car to memorize it. So, and it oftentimes is what we say and use in church as well. So we also, there are CDs that I've recommended on the last page, I think, or if, if it's not on there, I can let you know of, so that you could play them in the car as you're going somewhere so they can memorize it. Um, another aspect could be scripture memory. Um, oh, if. So just to make it easy, when they were, and we'll get into it, when they were really little, we'd go through the first catechisms and maybe use like my ABC Bible verses or something. And I just print off a sheet each month and just have it up with the questions so that we could bring it out at breakfast time. Um, now scripture memory, you can do whatever you would like. We had used, and I, I suggested on the last page, just different chunks of scripture that I had found on a, a school's website and just thought they were good chunks of scripture to memorize. So uh, it's the scripture memorization plan. And sometimes, you know, it actually, it looks like a lot, but over the course of uh, two months maybe, or a month and a half, maybe we would be able to memorize a chunk of scripture just by memorizing two verses a week and then repeating it. And um, so that's just an, a way to, have the scripture, uh, just have, help them to hide it in their heart. Um, I have on there, you know, Bible, help your children become Bible literate. You know, just, there are so many little ditties of the books of the Bible, knowing the order of scripture. Um, but it would also be helpful at some point to help bring them through a survey of the Bible, the books of the Bible, like the background, authorship, purpose of all the books. Uh, I crossed it off on all your sheets because I did not mean to do this uh, survey of the Bible. I think it's a little bit older. But I would recommend it just even getting something like the Reformation Study Bible or just a study Bible that has at the beginning of each book the, the purpose, the basic outline, the uh, intent, the author. And, um, and as whenever you read scripture or talk about scripture, just encouragement to think of scripture I put down there um, just in its redemptive context and not as disjointed stories. And I have two quotes there, and I know we're running low on time, but um, it's from Heirs of the Covenant. I'll read briefly part of it. The Bible is not simply a disconnected collection of stories. It is God's revelation of himself. It is his story of the redemption of his people. The church must not just teach about the acorns, people, and events. The church must teach about the tree, redemption. It takes a covenantal perspective to do this. The Bible is a covenant document. It reveals the initiation, the promise, the terms, the covenant. Christianity is not simply a moral code. It is a covenant relationship with the living God. 
And then it goes on, um, and we might not have time right now, but just talking about how if you talk about it as, as just individual stories, it can often lead to legalism, liberalism, or moralism, and, and that's in that next quote and, and how that might happen, but just wanting to help them to see the story of redemption and Christ coming to redeem his people. Uh, and on the last page, we'll go through in a little bit if we have time, the book suggestions. But right now, uh, the things that I did not have time to touch on today, which Jerry touched on um, a, a good bit, but just some other ways and things to think about in discipling your children. I put down there, make the Lord's Day worship in church a priority. We are called to gather weekly with the saints to offer worship to God. So. Uh, just as we order our lives to think of ways to, to make sure that that happens on a regular basis. Uh, live out the gospel, dying to self, modeling repentance, forgiveness, grace, hope, joy, peace, reconciliation. Um, remind them that the law of the Lord is for their good and is more to be desired than gold. I, I think of this when I was teaching Sunday, fifth and sixth grade Sunday school uh, a few years ago. I was trying to help them to, to understand that uh, the law is not something to just keep them from the things that they want, that, but that it is that God is for us, that his law is good, that it is sweet, that it is. And so just helping your children see that it is something worth pursuing when the, the world makes everything else look sweet to try to maybe pick those things apart and say, well, what, where could this lead and what does this... Um, this lead to and and I, I just think it's important to paint the picture that that he is for us that his law is good and and, and lovely um you could participate in acts of service and mercy together encourage personal time in his word and in prayer speak often of god's word his works in creation and his providences pray with and for your child and help develop a biblical worldview through regular conversation, help them grow in wisdom. I think two of the books that uh, have been very good throughout the years, Shepherding a Child's Heart is for the Younger Ages and Age of Opportunity. They're um, both by Trips. This one's Ted Tripp, The Shepherding a Child's Heart, and Age of Opportunity is Paul David Tripp. But phenomenal books to just help us to, to not focus on mere external obedience, but to look at the heart, um, to help uh, them to change their affections, their loves, and uh, just lots of practical tips in there of, of how you might be able to do that and uh, just ways in which we as parents can model and show the gospel to them as well. Um, and then... So on the, um, I have one last quote to finish with that's not in your handout, but it was talking about uh, the importance of covenant relationships and child discipleship and just thinking of the church in general, whether or not you have children or not. But it says, the content of the covenant is to be taught in the context of covenant relationships. It is an intentional cultivation of covenant relationships among the people of God. It culminates in authentic Christianity as God's people live together in his presence and radiate that reality in all of life. It is so comprehensive and compelling that covenant children are not easily dazzled by the attractions of the world because they have seen Jesus on every page of scripture and they have seen the radiant faces of those who live in God's presence. 
It produces deep-rooted Christians who are prepared to be salt and light in the culture for the sake of Christ's crown and covenant. Um, and then finally, just the last page that I have here, and you can, you're welcome to ask me about it after, just are, are some things that we used in our home throughout the years. Uh, there's so much more out there. These were just beginning thoughts and suggestions. If any of you want to see some of the books that are listed on here, particularly I think I have some of the younger ones up here, you know, for the younger kids, the Sinclair Ferguson's Questions and Answers, um, Leading Little Ones to God. This big truce for little kids is actually going through the first catechisms that we're having the twos through pre-K go through right now. So that's also something to look at. But um, yeah, just you know, kind of in conclusion, I know we need to get off to worship, but uh, that, that there definitely needs, uh, we, we need prayer for our children. We need uh, God to be at work in their hearts. We can't do this on our own. And uh, I just pray that we would have uh, order our lives in a way that would show that that this is the most important thing that we can chase after in this world so thank you